Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek, digital editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Beginning February 1st, the Walters Art Museum in Baltimore will feature a new exhibit showcasing a 12th century illuminated manuscript that has an incredible history and a very special connection to St. Francis of Assisi. The Catholic Missal, which has undergone an extensive conservation effort, will be on display for the first time in four decades. Abigail Quant, the Walters Head of Book and Paper Conservation, will join us in our second segment to describe the painstaking preservation efforts. But first, Lindley Herbert, curator of rare books and manuscripts and curator of the upcoming exhibit, tells us about the extraordinary history of what's known as the St. Francis Missal. Lindley Herbert, thanks for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Thank you for having me. The Walters is home to an extraordinary artifact called the St. Francis Missal, and it's got an amazing history. But before we get into that, could you explain for our listeners what a missal is, what, what a missal would be used for? Sure. Um, so the Missal is the book that is used during the Masses. So it has the text for the priest to, to read throughout the Masses for the year. So we would have the, the text for the, the Eucharist uh, for every service and then all of the others that you need. Um, it's often um, sort of text from the Gospels have been reorganized into the order that you need to read them in. Um, so most of the book actually contains a lot of the Gospel, but it's sort of rearranged for the use of the priest. And this particular missal, do we know who created it and when it was created? Um, so the who is hard to say um, because it's it's not, uh, you know, nobody signed the book, and that's common in medieval manuscripts. Um, but we, what we do know is that it was uh, made for the Church of San Niccolo in Assisi. There's an inscription in the book that states that, um, and that it was uh, the donor of the book uh, was a local man in Assisi who lived there in the 1180s, 1190s. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helps us sort of locate the book to Assisi, to, to San Niccolo in that moment um, in the late 12th century. And this is a really beloved book for Franciscans and Catholics in general. Can you, can you tell us why? It's got a great story behind it. It does. <laughs> so uh, in many of the uh, accounts of St. Francis's life, there's a, a story about him uh, having a sort of debate with some of his friends, and they're all trying to figure out what path they want to to follow and, and to better follow God. And they're all coming from sort of wealthy upbringings, and they kind of want to shift their lives, but they don't quite know how. So uh, one night in 1208, uh, they were up sort of debating this together, and they couldn't quite decide by morning what they wanted to do with their lives. So Francis basically said, okay, well, let's just ask God to tell us. Um, so they went around the corner to the Church of San Nicolo, which was the parish church that Uh, Francis often went to and they walked up to the altar in the church and opened the book that was on the altar Um, and they just kind of opened it randomly to three different places once for each of the trinity Um, and each place that they opened the book to it basically said give up your earthly goods and follow me Um, so this is sort of a foundational moment you know Francis turns to his his companions and says well that's that's what God wants us to do that is our path 
So this book, because it is from that church, from that moment, um, it, it would have been the book on the altar. Um, so it is, it is widely believed to have been the book that he opened that day. And that's the foundation for his whole charism for his religious community, right? Yes, yes. I mean, this is really, you know, the book that sort of starts it all (laughs) in a lot of ways. I mean, he was working towards that moment uh, for years himself, you know, sort of uh, in different ways. But but this moment kind of solidified a lot of things for him. Um, So there's sort of a ripple effect out from this book. So how did the book make its way to the Walters from Italy all those centuries ago? (laughs) Um, so, uh, so the the Church of San Nicolo um, was damaged in an earthquake in the 19th century, and at that moment, we believe that it, the works inside of it were kind of scattered. The church was desanctified and eventually torn down, except for the crypt. Um, so, uh, this book likely left the church uh, at that moment, and so it ended up in private collections. Uh, ended up um, in a dealer's catalog in the early 1900s, and it actually didn't sell for like a decade and a half. Um, He listed it, I think, three times, um, and no one had picked it up. And finally, um, a dealer that Henry Walters often bought manuscripts from in Paris ended up buying it from that dealer and then sold it to Henry Walters in 1924. Franciscans around the world come here just to see this manuscript? They do. Yeah. It's sort of a, we've become a site of pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Um, they really, um, they come in groups or, you know, singly. Uh, the very first, I've been here 10 years, and the first Franciscan who came here that I helped, you know, sort of show the book to, um, he came here on his 60th Jubilee, and this was his gift to himself, yeah. um, it was to come on pilgrimage to see this book. And so we have regular visits from Franciscans from around the world. Um, I'm contacted probably monthly, if not weekly, with requests to see this book. It is our most requested manuscript. We'll talk a little bit more in our next segment about some of the restoration efforts, but could you tell us what kind of damage the book sustained over the years and what you decided to do to help? Sure, sure. Um, so. So the manuscript, it was made probably just before 1200, just around 1200. Um, in the 15th century, it had been rebound, uh, likely just because out of you know many centuries of, of use, the binding probably started to fall apart. So you have to rebind manuscripts regularly, um, if, especially if there's something like this that's being used you know, on a regular basis in a church. So in the 15th century, uh, the book was rebound. And so the book still actually had its original 15th century uh, sewing and 15th century wood boards. And the sewing was starting to kind of break a little bit. Um, and the, those boards had a lot of insect damage. Um, holes kind of bored through them that uh, were making them very fragile. Because we show this book so often to so many people, um, it was getting a lot of wear and tear just you know over the past century since it's been in this collection. And basically, we had to make a choice to stop opening the book because it was just starting to fall apart. And that was a moment where we really had to sort of re-examine what we needed to do to preserve this book for everyone. So that was the moment we decided that we were going to to conserve the book. That involved uh, having a Mellon Fellow come in, which Abigail, I know, will be talking about. And basically, we had to take it apart um, very, very carefully over a course of two years, take it apart, um, assess all of the damage, uh, you know, fix it as carefully as possible um, in a way that would not 
um, you know, shift the, the appearance of the book or its usability, but stabilize it, you know, as much as possible. Um, so that involved re-sewing, um, preserving the boards, which Abigail will explain further, and, and then putting it all back together again so that it is, it is a usable book so we could digitize it to share it and to be able to show it again. What was the reaction from the Franciscans around the world when they found out they're going to be taking this book apart? <laughs> we were a little worried that they would be concerned for its uh, safety, um, but we actually what we found was that uh, they were really delighted that we were investing the time and and energy into um, you know preserving this book and sort of saving it for for them um, for the future and then you know the fact that we would be able to share it in a way that we haven't been able to in the past it had been too fragile to to digitize or really photograph well so or display you know so so now we can do all of those things and we have just digitized it so that people can have access to it um, even virtually from from afar and now it will be on a special display at part of a new exhibition. Could you tell us about that? Yes, yes. So opening February 1st and uh, ending May 31st this year, um, this manuscript will be uh, in an exhibition. It's the first one in about 40 years that is dedicated to this book. Um, so it's a small exhibition. We decided to kind of make it an intimate experience for people who want to come and really experience the book um, in, a, in a kind of cozy, private way. Um, so it's a small gallery with about 17 objects. Um, the book will sort of be in the middle as the, the main object, and then um, the cases around it are going to sort of highlight different aspects of the ripple effect of this manuscript across time and how it impacted different people. So there will be cases that sort of focus on St. Francis himself and his contribution, St. Clair, um, and uh, being the first woman uh, to follow Francis and sort of starting an entire branch herself. Um, and then uh, St. Anthony of Padua, who was uh, sort of focusing on preaching and kind of spreading the word out. And then there's also a case that will focus on private devotion and secular Franciscans, um, which uh, has some wonderful pieces in it, including a very rare uh, painted glass a little sort of devotional diptych that has relics of St. Francis and Claire embedded uh, into it. The manuscript has beautiful illustrations, but you've chosen to open it up to a text page. Um, can you tell our listeners why? Yes. Um, so uh, generally speaking, for an art museum, you know, we, we're focused on the art, and uh, this manuscript, when it has been shown in the past, has always been open to one of the illuminations, which are really actually quite lovely. Um, but we thought about it long and hard, and we decided that it would be more meaningful for people coming to see it for this exhibition um, if we showed the openings that he actually may have interacted with. Um, so uh, so it's going to start with one of those openings, and then halfway through the exhibition, we're going to turn the page to one of the other uh, spots where he um, had read the text from. So it'll actually be open to text pages, but I think in this case, that's the right decision. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How can people find more information about the exhibit? Um, so there's a page on our website um, that has information about the exhibition, about visiting that. Um, there will be a link to um, you know, digital images, both connected to the manuscript itself and to its conservation. There's also um, a press release that's available on our website as well, and um, you know, several newspaper articles coming out. Great. Lindley Herbert, Curator of Rare Books and Manuscripts at the Walters, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Thank you for having me.
When we return, we'll continue our discussion on the St. Francis Missal, soon to be on display at the Walters Art Museum. Joining us will be Abigail Quant, Head of Book and Paper Conservation, who will tell us about the extraordinary efforts that went into preserving this historic artifact. You're listening to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek. We'll be back in a moment. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Mercy Medical Services has selected Dr. David N. Main to become the new president and CEO of the Baltimore Catholic Health System. Main, who will become the first medical doctor and the first person of the Jewish faith to lead Mercy, will assume the role in July when Mercy's longtime president and CEO, Thomas R. Mullen, retires. Since October 2019, Maine has served as Executive Vice President for Mercy Health Services. Maine joined Mercy in 2007 and has served in a number of roles, including President of Medical Staff. A graduate of the Rochester School of Medicine, Maine lives in Pikesville with his wife and two children. Thomas Mullen, who joined the hospital in 1991 as its Chief Financial Officer, will remain on with Mercy, serving as Senior Advisor through 2021. In 1999, Mullen became the first layperson to lead the Catholic health system. Mercy greatly expanded its downtown footprint during Mullen's tenure, adding two new hospital buildings in 2003 and 2010. Mercy also acquired Stella Maris, a longtime care facility, and opened Mercy Ridge, a retirement community, which also is located in Timonium. Mercy Hospital was founded by the Sisters of Mercy in 1874. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, the Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have the Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek. 
Today we've been discussing the St. Francis Missal, a 12th century manuscript that will be on display at the Walters Art Museum in Baltimore beginning February 1st. The Missal is the same one St. Francis of Assisi used in prayer as he was discerning his religious mission, opening it three times at random to discover messages about renouncing earthly goods. In this segment, our guest is Abigail Quant, the Walters Head of Book and Paper Conservation, who will tell us about the two-year effort at restoring this historic artifact. Abigail Quant, thanks for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So you've had a really hands-on experience with this whole project. Could you tell us what your role was in this restoration effort? Yes. So this was a case where we had a, um, a Mellon Fellowship. It's an endowed position at the museum in our conservation department, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, which for two years was given to a young conservator, Kathy McGee, who worked under my supervision. So this was her main project during the fellowship. What was the condition of the book when you started working on this? Um, the manuscript was in um, pretty bad condition. The, the major problem were the wooden boards, which date to the 15th century and had been uh, attacked a long time ago by insects and were extremely fragile. And what kind of damage did the insects do? These are insects that actually feed off of the wood, and so when they're in the larva stage, they actually work their way through the wood digesting the starchy components and so this left a lot of holes and then of course the book continued to be used and it started the board started to crack and pieces fell off. So what is involved in repairing that and how do you fix that kind of damage? Well first we had to decide whether we were going to take the book completely apart or whether it was possible to do the restoration in situ that is without taking the book apart. Um, We opted for the former because um, we decided that the end result would be stronger and that the book would last longer. So after the book was disbound, um, the boards were taken off and the pages separated. The uh, focus of the repair of the boards was to fill the holes, to internally strengthen the wood. So this was done with an uh, inert adhesive. And then we Uh, repaired all the losses by using epoxy. Some of this was reversible? Yes. Um, So in conservation, we try whenever possible to make our work reversible so that if somebody in the future doesn't particularly like what we did or wants to make some other changes, they can take our repairs off. So the goal is always to use archival stable materials and not to intervene um, to make it possible for repairs to be removed. But sometimes it's not always the case, so you have to kind of decide what's best ultimately. We chose all stable materials and with time-tested techniques that had already been used by the objects conservators at the Walters. What was the biggest challenge in this project? Well, probably the repair of the boards um, because they were so badly damaged. Um, And of course, because books, even rare precious manuscripts like the St. Francis Missal are are handled and the, um, the spine has to flex and the boards have to move, it was very important for these 15th century boards, which we wanted to reuse, to be as strong as possible. So it was just extremely time consuming, as you can imagine, to fill all these holes over the course of months um, and then gradually um, repair the losses. 
So that was probably the most challenging aspect um, and also the most innovative because we developed some new techniques along the way. What were some of those techniques? One of the areas of these new epoxy fills suddenly failed as Kathy McGee, who was the Mellon Fellow working on the manuscript, unexpectedly failed, developed a crack, which was very alarming because we were at a point where we were hoping to finish binding the book. And so we introduced another material um, to fix the problem. And luckily it worked, and so we were able to proceed with the rebinding. What kind of craftsmanship did you observe went into making this product? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, So in the original production of the manuscript, well, (laughs) to be perfectly honest, the 15th century binder didn't seem to have been a very good craftsman because there were a lot of very crude aspects to the binding that we observed and believe it or not the text block the actual parchment pages had been trimmed by the binder quite severely we don't know why maybe they were damaged in some way of course the the parchment itself um, because it's an italian book is a made of goatskin which is a very strong material, and the writing ink is very stable. So all of those aspects of the original manuscript um, were pretty normal. Um, there were high-quality um, pigments used for the illumination, so that was very interesting. Can you talk about what the, the illuminations show? Yes. So there's three very large um, full-page illuminations in the manuscript, one a crucifixion, and then there are these very delightful animals throughout um, that are sort of used to look like some initials in the text. And um, what was interesting to us was the discovery that there was no actual gold, which you would expect in such a such an elaborate manuscript. Instead, the artist seemed to have used silver leaf, which was then glazed with a type of varnish to make it look like gold. Um, and that may have been something that was just practiced at the time in that area of Italy. Hmm. What was it like for you personally to work on this project? Um, it's always a very humbling experience um, to work on a medieval manuscript and also fascinating because you really get close to the people who actually created it and you make little observations about just like, for example, mistakes that the scribes made that makes them more human, you know, brings them closer to us. And, um, and then, of course, there's every book has some history of, re- of prior restoration, and that's always interesting to observe, old techniques that were used in the past. Mm-hmm. What kind of mistakes did you see that this describes? Oh, well, or? I mean, it's pretty normal because you can imagine a scribe is copying from another text, and it's very easy for their eye to skip accidentally, mm-hmm. so they might miss a word, miss a letter, or even sometimes a whole sentence. And so typically um, the scribe would just take their pen knife and very, very carefully um, scratch the surface in order to remove and erase the incorrect letter or word, and then they would write over it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> And I understand this has all been digitized as well, is that true? Yes, Um, so this was also one of the goals of um, doing this treatment was to be able to then finally digitize the manuscript because before the book was in such fragile condition that it could not safely be digitized. And we want to make the, the book accessible to as many people as possible. 
And so, yes, that was done um, after the treatment was completed. And how can people see that digitized version of it? The Walters has um, a, a website called Walters Ex Libris, um, which is where all the um, digital images of the manuscripts and the catalog entries um, reside. Well, Abigail Kwan, thank you so much for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Thank you. I've enjoyed it very much. Thanks again. The St. Francis Missal will be on display at the Walters Art Museum in Baltimore, February 1st through May 31st. The Archdiocese of Baltimore is among the sponsors of the free exhibit. For more information, visit www.thewalters.org. Again, that's www.thewalters.org. For Catholic Baltimore, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks, and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.